from Revelation chapter 2, verses 12 through 17. This is God's Word. And to the angel of the church in Pergamum write, The words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. Yet you hold fast my name, and you did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. So also you have some who hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Therefore, repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna. And I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. Amen. This is God's Word. Let's look to Him in prayer. Father, teach us Your Word. Fill our minds and our hearts with truth and grace. By the power of your Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, Pergamum is a church that wants it both. It wants the world and it wants Jesus. And their worldliness is a problem, just as ours is. It's not something they alone struggle with. And Jesus addresses them with hard words. And so I want you to think about this, our own temptations as well, uh, as he speaks to us about our worldliness. I want you to think about three things. I want you to think about the distinctives of worldliness, the dangers of worldliness, and how Jesus tells us to deal with worldliness. Well, what are the distinctives of worldliness? How, how would you even define the word? The word's not in the text, but it's glaringly obvious that this is their problem. When I tell you what worldliness means, it means a whole variety of things. What is worldliness? It is being preoccupied with this world ahead of the world which is to come. It is finding joy in the things of this world and even the good gifts of God more than in the giver himself. It's also finding joy in what God forbids instead of what God has granted. Worldliness is going with the crowd because we desire the approval of man more than the approval of God. And Peter tells you in one of his books that we are to abstain from worldly desires which war against our souls. And so we need to learn about these distinctives and dangers and how to deal. Notice, uh, I think if you look at verse 14 to begin, the problem that they had, the the text, I hope, will fall apart for you. It's a bit of an obscure problem, he says in verse 14, but it's something right out of the inglorious past of Israel. Verse 14, you have 
Some there, he says, who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the Israelites. Now, this is, this is an allusion to an Old Testament text in Numbers 22 and following, in which the king of Moab, Balak, the enemy of Israel, wanted to destroy the Israelites. And to do it, he hired the Israelite prophet Balaam, who for money agreed to curse instead of bless the people of Israel. And so he thought, I'll get up and I'll pronounce cursing. And when a prophet curses, curse really happens. And yet God in His grace restrained His tongue. And every time He opened it to speak, blessing came out instead of cursing. And so Balaam conspired with the king of Moab to do something utterly different. He said, gather up your Moabite women. And have them go over to the camp of the Israelites and introduce themselves and invite them home and bring them to the parties and invite them into marriage and embrace them in your religious ceremonies. And in what will happen as you seduce the Israelite men, what will happen, they will begin to engage with you in the idolatrous feasts and ceremonies of worship to me, the God... To, to, to the, the Baal God. And therefore, their God will be against them. And it was a brilliant, wise, and ugly chapter in the history of Israel that just that happened. And God was against them for it. And the judgment of God fell. Now that's, that's the text he's referring to. And he says, you, Pergamum, have some there who hold to that kind of thing? In verse 15, he says, in the same way or in the same manner, you have some, like these Balaamites, they're called Nicolaitans, who are teaching you that that kind of thing is okay. Well, what about us? We might say, we don't have that problem in our day. Those were strange times. We're far too advanced, a little too sophisticated to be involved in anything like that. But, Pergamum was a pretty sophisticated place. Don't discount it. You know what Pergamum was like? It was built on a cone-shaped hill rising a thousand feet into the uh, air above the valley. It was a center of cultural learning. They valued education. They had uh, a library of over 200,000 volumes handwritten, you understand, And yes, that rivals the Fayetteville Public Library for volumes. It was so um, amazing that when Mark Antony later wanted to send a gift to his lover Cleopatra, he sent her the library of Pergamum. They valued education and thought. It was a center of, of medicine and medical care. People came from all over the world to Pergamum to be healed. Galen, second only to... Uh, trying to think of how to pronounce his name for a second here. Uh, the Hippocratic Oath, Hipp- Hippocrates. Second only in terms of ancient medical fame. Was born there and studied there. It was a center of uh, religious and, and uh, emperor worship. You could uh, go there and for 250 years Pergamum had been the capital city of Asia and it was sort of Rome away from Rome and you could go there and not only... Uh, it was at the seat of government, but you could actually worship Rome. You could worship Caesar 
in this place. It was a sophisticated place, attracted people of all kinds. And what's going on there is this, that they're being invited to the parties, to the religious and social gatherings at the temple where they are welcome, as long as they go along with everybody else. You know, you might drink a little bit too much and get a little drunk. You might find yourself eating food that had just been sacrificed to an idol in the face of that idol as an act of worship. And you might get a little out of control and be involved in sexual immorality. You might sleep around. Or you might have a business gathering. You belong to a guild, a trade guild. Maybe you're a carpenter. Well, they had a meeting at the temple to offer worship to their God. And so you were expected to gather with your competition and your clients and conspire perhaps to cheat as you, the Christian, were expected to cheat on Jesus, to burn incense, as it were, to the God of money and business, lest you lose your account. It was the kind of place where you might have political rallies. You know, we're going to honor Caesar, long live Rome, right? And you might be expected to sort of to pinch a little bit of incense over the flame in honor of Caesar as Lord. And just acknowledge that your happiness comes from Him. Your, your source of hope is found in Him. And where, oh, the common wisdom might be this. That of course Jesus wants you to think evil of your political opponents. He wants you to think evil of the political opponents of Caesar. Even as you are invited, just as they, to place your trust in man, rather than in Jesus, who is king over all things for the church. This is a pretty sophisticated place. It's the kind of thing that happens every day here. It's the idea that grace gives you the freedom to sin. It's the troubling idea we find uh, all too common in the expression, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Right. It's the attitude we find in worldwide church leaders who give their blessing, not God's blessing, on the union of people who are never meant to be united. It's the attitude of business people away from home who are tempted to just keep quiet about the Lord Jesus being the true Savior and go along with everybody else in saying and doing what everybody else is, no matter how control, out of control it gets. Why? Because it's okay. Because in my heart... We say, I'm a Christian. And this is just the cost of doing business. Or it's the price we pay in our neighborhoods to get in good with the socially acceptable and upwardly mobile. Or the price we pay in our school to be accepted by the popular crowd. To go along with the popular crowd as it denies the lordship and salvation of Jesus. And Jesus, it's a beautiful word here. He, he begins by saying, I know where you live. You know, the, other, the other letters previous said, I know your works. I know all that you're doing. Or, I know all your sufferings. Here it's, 
I know where you live. I know the environment that you're in and the challenge of being a Christian in it. I know the attractions and the distractions, Jesus says. And he wants you to think, what does all this lead to? Well, look what it led to for them. Verse 14, it led to eating food sacrificed to idols and to committing sexual immorality. In other words, it led to moral compromise, spiritual compromise, right? And so it happens all the time. Everybody else does it. Why not you, says the Christian girl to the young Christian boy. And he thinks, well, when in Rome, do as the Romans. Or the Christian girl, invited to be part of the popular crowd, is invited to watch pornography because the pagan boy hopes he can get her to do what she's seen. Or the club you belong to. You're expected to spread damaging gossip about other people. Because it's kind of what we do around here. People made in the image of God. Or you're expected to entertain clients or be entertained by them in ways that are raunchy. And that leads you to moral compromise. And it is the seduction of the world. And we are all tempted and fall in many ways. And we think... God will be gracious to us no matter what we do, who we value, who we worship, how we live. Jesus is saying, listen, if that is your mindset and you think you're safe in Jesus and free, therefore, to live against Him and not for Him, you are utterly wrong. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Do not let your freedom be a cover-up for evil, the Bible says. And it's spiritual adultery. Valuing the approval of others over the approval of God is a form of man-worship. There are many things here we can learn about the shape of worldliness, its distinctives, but it is dangerous, he says. Why is it dangerous? Verse 13, well, because it's subtle. It it, it doesn't hurt at first, or so it seems. In fact, it can be pleasurable. You've got the company of companions. You're enjoying a good time. But as Spurgeon put it, don't you see that the world smiles? are more dangerous than their frowns. Did you see how Jesus commended them? This is, this is where he began. After he described himself, he said, I know where you live. I know the environment. And I know that you stand up for my name, even under persecution, even while one of you was put to death for my sake. But then he says this, And Satan couldn't destroy the church by persecution. So what did he do? He turned to enticement. And he sent the Moabite women over. He sent the neighbor over. He sent you away on a trip. You see that? Satan is active in 
in this, but it's very subtle. It's also infectious. Why is it dangerous? He says, you've got some people there, verse 14, who teach this. And they're spreading this idea that you can name Jesus and live at cross purposes with Jesus. And he says it's like a cancer that's reproducing cell by cell within the church. And it's a threat to the whole community. And so be careful, he says. And it, it's dangerous because it, it can slowly grab hold of your heart. Like pastor temptation, actually just Ted's temptation. I'm tempted to watch way too much television. My only hope is, is to not have television because I just melt in front of a channel changer and spend... But it doesn't start out that way. I mean, if we got cable tomorrow, I wouldn't suddenly be watching 20 hours of television late into the night. It would start with one show. And that show again the next week. And then a couple others. And then what's on after that? And then suddenly, I've totally ignored my wife and ignored my kids. And I'm just confessing my sin here. But it's a form of worldliness. To love what is in itself not evil but to love it in the way that denies all the fundamental priorities of my life. You see, it, it can grip you, oh, so, so slowly you don't even know it. And then you wake up and realize, what happened to the last six months? Six months of free cable, you understand. We, we did that two years ago. We're not doing it again. In London, in the days of Aaron Boys... You know, they would walk around town and somebody began to notice that all the Aaron boys in a certain section of London were whistling a little bit off pitch and out of tune. And it was speculated it was because the bells of Westminster were slightly out of tune. And they had all begun to just whistle in step with the out of tune bells, never probably realizing. That's the way it can be. It sneaks up on you. And suddenly... After a great deal of time, you find and you look back and you say, I've made compromise after compromise. But it is dangerous one final way. It is dangerous in this way. Verse 16, notice what Jesus says. If you will not repent, I will come to you soon and war. This is dangerous stuff because it sets us against Jesus and Jesus against us. I have this against you, he says. And I will war against you with the sword of my mouth. This is the, based on other texts in Scripture, this is his word. His word is like a sword piercing the heart. And with his very breath, one word in your direction, he can sweep you away, he says. So don't listen to the word of those who tell you, it's okay, we all do this. Listen to the Word of Jesus. That's what He's saying. So that He would not be set against you. Now, that's the distinctive and the danger. And what do we do? What do you do with your temptations to worldliness? How do you deal 
with your failures in this area. I want to suggest, he suggests at least three things. We need respect, we need to repent, and we need to reflect on the better things Jesus offers us than the world can offer. In the first place, he says you need respect. He began the letter this way, trying to fill their vision with awe at this one out of whose mouth comes a sharp sword, right? He's trying to say, I am the judge and executioner. I am the true king. Rome doesn't have the power of life and death. The governor in Pergamum, though he did have the power of life and death, Jesus is saying, oh no, it's me. Fill your vision with me and, and stand in awe. Do you think influential people are impressive? They're no big deal compared to me, he's saying. You think people are dangerous to cross? I'm much more so, he's saying. Persecute my church and you will face me, Jesus says. Seduce the church through false teaching and you will face me, Jesus says. And so too those who do not repent, he says. So stand in awe. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And we need a bigger vision of our environment. But he says, and repent. Do something. (laughs) What should we do? How how should the church live in the world? And by the way, he says (laughs) they live there. He doesn't use the word for you're sort of passing through and on your way to heaven or you're uh, visiting. He says, you live, I know you live there. This is home. You can't just walk away from it, Jesus. In fact, he says, don't do that. He doesn't say, oh, here's how the church ought to relate to the world. Just flee the city. You know, find yourself 40 acres in the wilderness and you and your family camp out until it's safe. That's not what he says. Don't embrace isolation and separation in that way, getting as far away from the world as you can and involving yourself in sort of a holy huddle of Christians only. Leaving worldliness does not mean leaving the world, but it also doesn't mean hate your neighbor. Stay there, but despise them. Treat them with contempt. I mean, they persecute Christians, isn't that what he said? So reject their invitations, uh, ignore them. It's not they who are the ultimate problem. Remember when he said, I know, I know that you, some of you stood up for me and, and even one of you was martyred for me where Satan dwells. The second time he mentions it, where Satan dwells. I think he's trying to say, it'd be very easy for you to get so disgusted with your culture And in a sort of a self-righteous way, say, well, I just won't be like that. I'm not like that. I'm going to avoid that. And it's their problem and not my problem. And I'm mad at them and not at me for my failures. And so I'm at war with people. And he says, no, no, no. Remember, where Satan dwells. We war with not with flesh and blood, but with fallen angels and demons. Right? So don't. Don't hate your neighbor. That's not what he's encouraging in any way. He's saying repent. Where you are, repent. What one thing leaps to your mind 
that you have given up because you love Jesus and want Him more than that thing. What one thing leaps to mind that you ought to give up because you love Jesus and you want Him more than that thing? Begin to say no, He says. And that's going to look very different for every one of us because all of our temptations are different. But it's going to involve personal repentance. For those who advocate this kind of view, for those who have embraced it and fallen in the face of this kind of view, and whose heart hasn't said, I know He'll forgive me, I can get away with it this time. Where have you loosened your moral standards? Is it in front of the keyboard? Behind the channel changer? While you're on vacation? While you're on business? With some certain crowd? Repent, he says. And he's, he's also talking to the elders here. He's saying, he, he's actually saying, he's saying, you deal with this, or I will come and deal with this. And he's saying to the, the pastors, pastor your people as well. And so he says, respect me, repent, and, and then would you, would you reflect that the world can't offer you anything to be compared with what I offer you? He says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to the one who conquers, I will give. The world says, here's life and joy. We can give you a feast. We can give you community and intimacy. Don't you want that? Of course you want those things. And Jesus isn't saying all those things are bad. Jesus is saying what the way that the world offers you to the, them to you is counterfeit. But I offer you a better feast, a better community, a more lasting intimacy. You see what he offers here? Not, not an appeal to an ungodly desire for that which is illicit and forbidden, but he's contrasting with something that's better and real, a feast. He says, I have the hidden manna. Manna is what fed the people of God in the wilderness. And Jesus in John says, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness, but I died. And I feed your soul. I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. And if anyone eats my bread, he will live. Jesus is saying, I will feed you on all the fullness and all the benefits that are in me. You have life. And we think, man, there's a great party coming on Friday. And Jesus says, I have much more to offer you. And the world says, come be part of our community. You just have to compromise a little bit. You've got to do what we do to be welcome around here. You see how Jesus' community is different? He offers them a white stone. Now, it's somewhat obscure, I could give you all ten major (laughs) commentators' ideas on what that white stone really is. I won't bother speculating on all of them with you. Let me highlight a number of the suggestions. One, that that white stone represents the white stone that was given instead of a black stone in a trial. If you were guilty, you got the black stone. And if you were acquitted, you got the white stone. And he may be saying... Listen, I will, I will, in the final day, before my face, at my judgment seat, I will 
I will say not guilty to you. You are welcome in my community. Or it is, he may be saying this, that there were white stones given as a uh, reward to uh, the, the victor in a competition. And that white stone gave him admittance. It was like a ticket into the celebration that was to come. Or there were white stones given uh, between friends that sort of let them have entrance at any time into one another's homes and lives. I mean, there are any number of possibilities here, but I think it gets at this idea. The world says, do what we do and you'll have community with us. And Jesus says, I know that you have it. I'll forgive you and give you community with me. What a huge encouragement this must have been to those who heard him say these things and had failed and had walked the way of the world and needed to know that he was willing to forgive. Does your soul hear that? And then he says, oh, and that community offers you intimacy. We'll be friends. We'll know one another. And he says, I give you my name. That stone has a name on it. That no one knows but he who receives it. And everywhere else in Revelation, that name that, that, name that no one knows is, is the name of God. And it speaks, at least this, it, it speaks at least in this way, it speaks to intimacy. Uh, weekend or two ago, must have been two weekends ago, uh, Drake Field... Uh, offered free flights. I should say the sort of the Experimental uh, Pilots Association. I don't know if I have that name right. But they offered free flights to kids ages 12 to 17. So all these uh, people who own their own little airplane. And uh, I'm sure they're trying to generate an interest in personal flying. Uh, it was uh, a great time for my boys. They just they absolutely loved it. I had a couple who didn't want to do it. We had a, we had a ball. Then they got a certificate, and the certificate was to acknowledge that they had accomplished this. And signed at the bottom was the chairman of this, the national chairman, Harrison Ford. Oh, my kids were enthralled. Harrison Ford? Dad, that's, that's Indiana Jones. That's Han Solo. Harrison Ford. Then we were talking to a man who's actually been with Harrison Ford at these events. He's appeared at some 300 of them around the nation because he's an he's an enthusiastic flyer and he could just happen to pop in he never tells you where he's coming because the crowd gets too big and so my kids were like Harrison Ford might come he could he could be here and I was like probably not the case kids but so we're at home later and my kids are asking me dad what would you call him I don't know why they asked that what, what, what would you call him he came and I was like just call him Indiana. Call him Hans. I'll call him Mr. Ford. Yeah, well, why wouldn't you call him Harrison? Because we don't call elders and strangers by their first name until they give it to us. Because it's intimate and familiar. He's Mr. Ford until he says, call me Harrison. It speaks to familiarity. The world offers you its friendship, and Jesus says, I offer you a friendship that lasts. 
forever. What do you want? You want a feast? He's manna. You want community? He quits you and welcomes you. You want intimacy? He's the friend of sinners. What do you want? You want the fleeting pleasures of this world? Or infinite and everlasting joy? Jesus says to you, I purchased that infinite and everlasting joy for you on the cross and I guarantee it to you who look to me. But are you, like C.S. Lewis put it, are you a half-hearted creature like me? Fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Your soul? The approval of man or the reward of Christ? May we do business with the Lord. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you that you so love the world that you sent your only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Pierce our hearts with that. In Jesus' name, amen.